Joseph. Um, I must personally say I am loving going through this story, chapter by chapter, looking at the life of Joseph. I've actually found out from a number of you that, that Joseph is your favorite character uh, in, in Scripture. And I think, wow, so much to learn, so much to dive into uh, as we look at Scripture and we look at the life of Joseph. So this series is called Dream to Destiny. And last week, uh, Charles preached a fantastic message, and we left Joseph in prison. Okay, so in the story of Joseph, Joseph is in prison. He's been put unfairly there by the false accusations of Potiphar's wife. Uh, uh, But while in prison, like everywhere that Joseph went, while in prison, Joseph thrived. He interpreted the dream of the baker and the cupbearer. Uh, And the cupbearer then ends up reinstated there at the right hand of Pharaoh. And uh, Joseph had said to the cupbearer, he said, remember me. Remember me, Joseph had said. I don't deserve to be here. Remember me. But the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. So we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 1. It will come up on the screen or you can follow it on in, through your scriptures, through your Bible. When two full years had passed. So Joseph had been in prison for two years. Okay, he'd been forgotten about. He was in prison for something he didn't do for two years. And then the story of Joseph all the way through up till now is a story of detours, setbacks, and barriers. And Joseph's been forgotten for two years. Then Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed amongst the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly... And gone, ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh awoke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them. Just pause here for a moment. So dreams play a powerful role in the story of Joseph. Joseph, the start of the whole story in Genesis about Joseph, it begins with a dream. Here we have a very significant dream that Pharaoh has. Now, I want you to notice one thing really interesting. Don't you love the way that scripture and archaeology and history all come together and basically archaeology and history back up scripture? Because if you go to the British Museum, you can see there in the Egyptian section these kind of what you would might call dream interpretation cards. Okay, they're like almost like a tarot card. They're like various symbols and they explain what it means. 
The point is that this whole thing of magicians and wise men interpreting dreams, that's something that went on in Egyptian culture. And you see there that archaeology and history backs up what Scripture is telling us. They complement each other wonderfully. But none of the magicians and the wise men could interpret the dream. So let's read on. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there, that's Joseph, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. The other man was dead. Okay? So here's the cupbearer. The cupbearer is mentioning to Pharaoh, okay, what happened in his dreams and his interactions with Joseph. You've got to remember that a cupbearer is very close to the king or the pharaoh. You read it in Nehemiah. The cupbearer had a very privileged position. They were very close to the pharaoh or the king. They were like a protection so it stopped someone poisoning them. They were like a real friend to the king or the pharaoh. So this cupbearer was having his conversation with pharaoh and tells him about Joseph. And finally, for the first time, we can see the pieces of the story coming together. Finally, we can see the dream starting to become the destiny. Because Joseph had a dream way back at the beginning of the story. But then he was sold by his brothers into slavery, age 17. In slavery, in Potiphar's house, he thrived. But he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and put into prison where he was forgotten about for two years. Forgotten about for two whole years. Now, if you do the time and you do the maths, you will realize that Scripture tells us that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. And we find out at the end of this chapter in verse 46 that he was 30 when he became prime minister. So there is a gap of 13 years, 13 years of suffering and disappointment and setback, 13 years before the dream became a reality. So we're going to look at a number of things that we can learn from Joseph in Genesis chapter 41. The first thing we can learn from Joseph is to trust God's timing. Now, the thing about Joseph was, and why he's such a brilliant example in Scripture, he thrived wherever he was. He was in slavery. He thrived. He was in prison. He thrived. There was disappointment and setback, yet he kept on thriving. And isn't it interesting that the cupbearer's forgetfulness, the two years of the cupbearer forgetting about Joseph, meant that Joseph was put into the palace at just the right time to interpret the dream of Pharaoh. 
Those two years of forgetfulness meant it was exactly the right moment, right place, right time for the dream to be realized. 13 years of disappointment, 13 years of hurt, 13 years of suffering, 13 years of detour, we get to this point. So let me ask you a question. Where are you? Are you in a waiting room at the moment? Are you in a waiting room where you say, well, I'd love to get married like all my friends, but it's just not happening? Are you in a waiting room where you are married, but things aren't quite how you thought they would turn out? You're still waiting for the intimacy. You're still waiting to be working together as a couple. You're still waiting for that. Or maybe it's your career. It feels like it's on pause. You had all these promises and all these hopes and all these dreams but it just doesn't seem to be happening. And other people seem to be getting the promotions in work while you are just waiting. You see, when we follow Jesus, we're to know that God has a perfect timing for us. And your timing and my timing is different to the person to your right and to your left. No person has the same plan. No person has the same timing. God has a perfect plan and a perfect pace for you. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get the fact that God has a different plan for my life to the person sitting next to me. But what we struggle with is that my pace is different to theirs and theirs pace and timing is different to mine. But we're to embrace the pace. And you see, the thing is that waiting is working. Waiting is working. You say, Mark, I don't know what to do in this waiting period. I don't know what to do. My dreams are not being realized. I don't know what to do. Will you work in the waiting? If you're waiting for a husband, a wife, you look and you work on being a godly man and a godly woman. If you're waiting on promotion, if you're waiting on a career, then you work diligently on the skills that you will need. You work conscientiously with what God puts in front of you. You do the work in the waiting room. Here's what's so impressive about Joseph. Joseph was diligent in Potiphar's house. He was diligent in prison. He was doing the work in the prison and in Potiphar's house. He was doing what was put before him. I'm sure during those years, Joseph would have wondered, when's this dream going to become a reality? I'm sure he would have wrestled with God. What about that dream I was given as a teenager? I'm now in prison. What about that dream as a teenager? I'm working as a slave. What about that dream? You see, God was at work in Joseph's life. There was a preparation that was taking place for such a time as this, as we read in Esther chapter 4. God was at work. God has a plan. God has a pace for you. And God had been weaving everything together. God had been weaving a path for Joseph, a weaving a path to get him to stand in front of Pharaoh at just the right time to interpret the dream. Trust in God's timing. There's lots we're going to learn from Joseph. The first thing today, we're to trust in God's timing. Let's read on. 
verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now, even there, you have to realize that if, if Joseph needed kind of like a shower, change his clothes, have a shave, he must have been in absolute state. He was suffering in prison. It was a tough time for him. It was difficult. He was in his rags, and it was tough. But there he is, shaved, clothed, clean before Pharaoh. Pharaoh Fed said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one could interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. That right there is powerful, verse 16. Because I want you to think about it for a minute. Just, just imagine the scene. Joseph is all cleaned up. He's got his nice Egyptian clothes on. He's had a shave. He's had a shower. He's smelling good. He's looking good. And he looks over at the corner. And he sees the wise men and magicians who haven't been able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he has an opportunity to go, right. It's all about me. I can interpret this dream. I know the answer to this dream. I know what I'm going to do. And if I give the interpretation to Pharaoh, then man alive, I'm going to climb the ladder to greatness. He doesn't do that. Verse 16, he says, I can't do it. He says, it's not about me. God is the one who gives the answer. It's not about me. It's about God. You see, Joseph doesn't grab the opportunity, even though he's been waiting 13 years for the fulfillment of the dream, even though he's been waiting all that time, he doesn't grab the opportunity. He gives God all the glory. And this is the second thing that Joseph teaches us. He teaches us to know who we are and know who we are not. You see, we were made to give God glory. And when we don't give glory in our life, there's something not right. There's something clunking, like a car without oil that clunks along and, and like, like a flat tire. It, just, it doesn't go right if we're not giving glory to God. You and I, we are not God. We are the created. He is the creator. And you see, there's so many examples in Scripture. We haven't got time to go through them, but there's so many examples where different characters in Scripture have an opportunity, have a choice to make about whether they take the glory or whether they give the glory to God. And time and time again in Scripture, sadly, the character grabs at taking the glory grabs at taking the fame, grabs at taking the moment. And what you see then is that they spiral out of control. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph knows who he is, but he also knows who he is not. And he gives glory to God. I think Joseph models something really, really well. He models kind of like an open-handedness. He works hard. He is diligent. He is a, a godly man, but he gives all the glory to God. He is a great example. A, a pastor friend of mine uses this word that I think um, Joseph personifies. He uses the word godfidence. 
what he's trying to convey is that we should be confident. We shouldn't be shrinking back and kind of like, oh, no, 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 and all kind of like shrinking back and timid. But neither should we be proud and full of ourselves. We should find this point where we have a confidence. We're confident because of him. We're confident because of God. We need to, and we should have a confidence. So let's read on. Verse 25, skip a couple of verses, pick it up in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the years abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And the famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and a wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint a commissioner over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. You can see here Joseph's great strategy and gifting as a leader. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Wow. Joseph is now basically number two in Egypt. He is the prime minister, second only to Pharaoh. He is thriving. He is thriving. And the wonderful thing about Joseph is he thrives everywhere he goes. He thrives in prison. He thrives in slavery. And here he is in the palace thriving. So much so that Pharaoh recognizes his leadership gift and gives him the position of the prime minister of Egypt. Let's follow on to the next couple of verses. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! 
Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphoneth Paniah, I think, just say it quickly, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, a priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was, there is, 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. So not only has Joseph the position of prime minister, he also has the robes, he has the fine linen, he has the gold chain, he has the signet ring, he has the chariot, he has everything that goes with it. And Joseph teaches us here, the next thing he teaches us is to embrace your God-given success. And I think this is really important because as Christians, as believers, we sometimes don't know how to handle success. Success is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. You see, when God thought about you before the creation of time, he thought about you succeeding. Sin came into the world, which brings mess and destruction and death and failure. But God created the world, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. God created the world with Adam and Eve in it to be fruitful and for us to multiply. He created the world for us to have dominion over the world. When he saw you, he saw you thriving. He saw you succeeding. And Joseph here, in those few verses we read, he embraced the signs of success. He didn't say, no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 Pharaoh. I don't want your robe. I don't want your signet ring. I don't want your chariot. He didn't do that. No, no, no. He, he embraced what he was given. He embraced the fruit of his success. You see, you can still be humble and embrace the success that God has given to you. Why or how can you do that? Because success is not about you. Success is about God's favor upon you. Success is God at work in your life. If you understand that that's what success is, that success in your job is God at work in my life, then you can embrace the success that comes with it because you know is not from your own excellence or your own intelligence or your own creativity. You know that it comes from God. And the interesting thing is, actually, if you look at the life of Joseph, Though the robe and the shoes and the chariot and the ring are physical signs of success, really the greatest signs of success we see in the life of Joseph is the success with which he dealt with the pit, the success with which he dealt with prison, the success we, with which he dealt with disappointment and he dealt with slavery. That really is Joseph's success. Yes, here are some trinkets and some physical representations, but that is where we see Joseph's real success. And the interesting thing about Joseph's success is also this. Joseph was diligent and Joseph was godly. 
and Joseph was hardworking whether people were watching or not. And some of you, some of you here today are working hard, are diligent and godly and doing amazing things, but no one knows. No one knows. You say, I haven't yet been rewarded for my faithfulness. I haven't yet been rewarded in my career. I haven't yet been rewarded relationally. I haven't yet been rewarded financially. You need to hear this. You need to hear that God sees you. God sees you where you are in the private. God sees you. He sees you and you are being successful like Joseph was for 13 years. He was successful, prison, pit, slavery. That's his real fruit of success. Yes, along came a chariot, along came a ring, along came a robe, but that is where he was successful. Keep doing the right thing, church. Keep being godly and conscientious and doing the right thing because you are succeeding. God sees. The next thing that I want to point out that Joseph teaches us is that we are to operate from a healthy place. I don't know if you have thought about this, but for me, I'll be honest, if this was me, and after all of those 13 years, and I've just become prime minister of Egypt, do you know what I think I'd be doing? Right, where's Potiphar's wife? Want to get her in? She's going to go and be killed. Right, where's my brother's? I want to get them in and get them get them killed. That's what I would be thinking. I would be thinking revenge, sort them out, get them done. They gave me a horrible 13 years, so it's time for revenge. But Joseph doesn't give an ounce of bitterness. There's not an ounce. He was wounded. He was wronged greatly. But the thing about Joseph is that he was healed radically. And you see, here's I want to help you with this. You see, in life, every single one of us will get hurt. Every single one of us will get hurt by other people, intentionally, unintentionally. All of us will get hurt in life. We are wounded. We, we walk with a kind of a, a limp. Each and every one of us carry our wounds from life. We all have scars. The question is not, have you been hurt? The question rather is, have you been healed? Are you living with visions of revenge? Are you living with bitterness towards that friend who did that to you all those years ago, but's probably forgotten what they did? Are you living with bitterness towards those work colleagues who, who made it so you didn't get the promotion you deserved? Are you living with an unhelpful tape recorder going round and round and round and round and round, and round in your head? Because Joseph teaches us that though we have been mightily wrong, though we have had people do things against us that are totally unfair, we're to be healed and live healthy and live free. That's the example that Joseph sets out for us. Now, one final thing I want to pick out that Joseph teaches us. Joseph teaches us to be in the world, but not of the world. Now, we could take longer to unpack this, but for time, you see, in those verses that we read, verses 42 to 46, you'll have noticed that, that Joseph took an Egyptian name. He marries an Egyptian woman, 
A lot of commentators think he had to do that because it kind of came with the job. Kind of you become prime minister of Egypt, you get a wife. I think that works in this country. But, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the commentators say was kind of what happened at that time. And he wore Egyptian clothes. But he didn't become part of the culture. If you read a little bit further on in verses 51 and 52, he has two children. And very significantly, he gives them Hebrew names. Very significant. So this is a testimony to Joseph's clear stand for the things of God. Joseph was in Egypt. He was the prime minister of Egypt, but he wasn't fully Egyptian. He didn't lose his identity as one of God's people. In prosperity, he maintained his love for God. Many commentators think that Joseph was at the time the only person in the whole of Egypt who trusted in God. He was salt and light. That's what Joseph was in that context, in that Egyptian context. He was salt and light, and he didn't lose his saltiness. Now, this is a hard road to navigate in 2023. Church is hard to do. It's hard to be in the world, but not of it. That's a difficult thing to do. But that's what Joseph did. That's what scripture challenges us to do, to be distinct, but also to have friends that we can pray for, share the good news of Jesus, invite to Alpha, invite to church, develop a position where we can invite hospitality into our home and bless. We need to be able to be in the world to have the opportunity to do those things. But we want to be distinct from the world so we can see that the light of Christ is in us. Joseph models this. He models being in the world, but not of the world. Now, the final thing I want to show you is the chapter ends. Chapter 41 ends with the nations coming to Egypt for bread. Genesis 41 and verse 57. And all the world, all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So just, just hold here because this is, this is beautiful. The salvation of the world at that time depended on a descendant of Abraham, who was Joseph. Genesis 12, verse 3, the promise to Abraham, through you, all families of the world will be blessed. But this is only a partial fulfillment. This is a partial fulfillment of that promise. Because it also points forward to Jesus Christ. And there's many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph begins his active life as prime minister of Egypt, his life's work at 30. Jesus began his life's work at 30. Joseph went from a pit to the palace. Jesus on the cross was crucified, was put in the grave, and then was raised up to be seated at the right hand of the Father. There are many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. And what we have here is a glimpse, a glimpse. The exaltation of Joseph 
To provide food for the whole world to all who come to him is a glimpse of what is to come in Jesus Christ. Here, Joseph is identified as a savior of the world at that time. Every nation comes to Egypt for bread so they can survive. What does Jesus say in John 6, 35? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never, ever go hungry. You see, Jesus satisfies all who come to him. Our hunger is satisfied through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is for all people, all nations, every tribe and tongue and nationality. Jesus is for every single one. All of the nations of the world can come to Jesus and find salvation and satisfaction. Jesus invites all to come. I love that. I love the glimpses we have of the gospel here in the story of Joseph. The foreshadowing of what is to come. And the thing is, you see, in the life of Joseph, we see it partially fulfilled. We see it physically fulfilled. Then in Jesus Christ, we see it fully fulfilled and fulfilled spiritually for every person on the planet. So Joseph has a lot to teach us. He's a lot to teach us. Joseph, this morning we've looked, teaches us to trust God's timing. It's hard. It's difficult. 13 years, Joseph had to trust God's timing. Joseph teaches us to know who we are and know who we're not. I can't interpret the dream, but God can. Joseph teaches us to embrace your God-given success. Success is not a bad thing. It's good to embrace our hard work, our diligence, the favor of God upon our lives. Joseph teaches us to operate in a healthy place, to be at a place not of bitterness, but a place not of revenge, but a place where we have been healed by the blood of Jesus, where we know that God is with us and is for us. And Joseph teaches us to be in the world, but not of the world. To navigate that challenge to be salt and light.